Well, if you open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll read the first, yes, first, the first 15 verses, because it is very relevant, especially, you can see at the top of your notes, relevant to verse 11, at the top of your notes, follow the notes through. And verse 11, as you can see, all these things, that's what happened to Israel in the early verses, all these things happened to them as examples, and they're written for admonition, our admonition. That means correction, instruction, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Interesting. So that verse, as we learn much from the Old Testament and what happened to Israel, especially the book of Judges, it gives us an instruction and a teaching and sometimes a warning. We don't go that way. So let's read the first 15 verses of 1 Corinthians 10. You'll see why. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers, Paul being Jewish, writing, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud, in the sea, and in the sea, and did all the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now the letters commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Now the letters tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Now the murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. That's the angel. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge what I say. Well, you can see there that there were blessings that Israel had in the wilderness, and there were judgments because of their five sins in the wilderness as well. Let's, while we're there, just have a look and see what the blessings were first. And we go back to Judges. Look from verse 1. First one, they're under the cloud. That's God's protection and leadership. They all passed through the sea. That was God's deliverance as well as the Passover from Egypt. All baptized unto Moses means they came under his leadership and direction under God in the cloud and in the sea. That's three. They had the same spiritual meat. That was the manna that God provided in the wilderness. That's four. They all drank the same spiritual drink. Well, of course, the drink is a reference to the Holy Spirit of the Lord. And they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. So he was leading, directing as a shepherd, leading, and also behind them protecting. 
So that's the five blessings that Israel had, as we know in the book of Exodus. What about their sins? Well, the sins began, verse 6, they lusted after the flesh. They wanted, uh, as you know, the quail. They wanted to meet the fed up with the manna. So they lusted for evil things. Secondly, they were in idolatry. The golden calf built, you know. Fornication, the immorality in verse 8. Temptation, tempting the Lord. They wanted to go back to Egypt, wanted all the gherkins and the onions and so on and the garlic in Egypt. And they tempted the Lord because they wanted the very best above what God provided. Fifthly, they murmured. And God really sent them judgment for their murmuring. All those are examples. Blessings and judgments. So look at your notes now. Here are God's ways of discipline against the willful, sinful behavior and rebellion of heart, will, and mind against a wayward and a wanton people. That generation of Israel that came out from the uh, nation of Egypt, rescued by the Passover and the Red Sea, yet they died in the wilderness because of their gross sins, even though they were greatly blessed, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10. And for us as Christians, when we look into the book of Judges in just a moment, for the Christian believer today, look at your notion, let all who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And there's some references in 2 Timothy I'd like you to look at later on in the New Testament, if you're still in 1 Corinthians. Go on to 2 Timothy, would you please? Paul's instruction to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, regarding what he should teach others in the churches. 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 19 from your notes. <coughs> Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. That's the foundation, and that's the seal. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But go back to verse 18. There's some, as Paul hinted at here in verse 17, two men, and they concerned the truth that they thought the resurrection had passed, so they were heretics. They said that and what did they do? This is the danger. They overthrew the faith of some. That applied to Israel, too, that some people's behavior would overthrow the faith of some, as true in the church. Some people's behavior brings a stumbling block to Christians around them. There's a lack of love in the church today, and people are leaving the churches because of it and the rows, and the differences, and the crises, just like in the Corinthian church. Go down, if you will, please, to verse second part of verse 20. There are some to honor, and some to dishonor. In the church, still true today. And it's true if you look in verse 21, if any man purge himself from these, that's the dishonorable things, he should be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, set apart, meet already for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And then flee youthful lusts. Follow righteousness, faith, 
love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Think of Israel. Now, this study in the book of Judges, when I looked into this, I thought how relevant it is for our day, as we shall see in the book of Judges. Time and time again, when things were going right and they were blessed, and then they fell away into sin, and God chastened them. Now we're going to see this as we go through the book of Judges, how relevant it is today, this book, as we see in the example of Israel. Let's look in your notes again in Psalm 36, verse 9. In thy light we see light, and that's true. What is the light? Well, the word of God and Christ himself. Christ followed the people of Israel. You find that as we read in 1 Corinthians 10. And he was their rock as well as ours. Now, carry on with the notes. Judges itself. Let's have a look at Judges. Look in your notes. The author of Judges was Samuel. That's a reference to 1 Samuel 10.25. Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, Saul being nominated king, and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And that would seem to be the book of Judges. <coughs> now, the title Judges himself we think of a judge as it is today, it's not quite the same. The title judge means deliverers or saviors, as well as judges. They decided for the welfare of the people what should happen. One person would bring a complaint, another one would come to defend, and the judge would decide what's right. Now, there's some references to Deuteronomy, which I'd like to look back into the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy. This is all in preparation for judges. Deuteronomy, you've got the references there in chapter 16, 17, and 19. Let's go back there. Deuteronomy is an amazing book. Strange to say, there's a great deal of Bible prophecy in Deuteronomy, by the way. Deuteronomy 16, let's look at it. One verse there, chapter 16 and verse 18. What did the judges do? Deuteronomy 16 and verse 18. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates. A judge will sit at the gate and hear cases. Which the Lord your God gives you throughout your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Okay, over to chapter 17, 8 and 9. If there is a matter too hard for you in judgment, right, considering Moses, between blood and blood, family, family, disputes, between plea and plea, and between stroke and stroke, be matters of controversy within thy gates. Then you shall arise and get up into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And you shall come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto the judge that shall be in those days and inquire, and they shall show you the sentence of judgment. What is the right decision? That was the work of the judge. Chapter 19, might as well look at that one. Chapter 19, and verses 16 to 18, same thoughts. It's about a witness in verse 15. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest, and the judges, which shall be in those days. 
and the judges shall make diligent inquisition or inquiry. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then you do to him what should be done, and so on, to put evil out of the way. In the church, in our day, according to Matthew 18, Jesus said, where two or three gather together in my name, it's nothing to do with prayer, it's to do with discipline in the church. If a person was wronged, they would go to the person and try and get it sorted out. If that failed, he would take two witnesses, try and get the problem sorted out. If that was not possible, then they could bring the issue to the church. You could check it out in Matthew 18, and the church would decide what was right together. And if discipline was necessary, that would be meted out. You know what happened in Corinth when the, the man committed immorality with his stepmother? The church did nothing about it, and Paul corrected him and said, get and do something about it. Put him out of the church, and if he doesn't repent, or wait for his repentance, and if he does repent, welcome him back in, which, of course, is true. That happened in the second Corinthians. Paul recorded that. The discipline in the church. So, in other words, the church was also judge. And the judge is back in Israel's day. That's what the book of Judges is. We're on page one still. That's just something I, I brought that out. So there were 12 judges before Samuel, and then Eli and Samuel made a total of 14 judges. The judges is a tragic sequel to Joshua, because in Joshua there's a lot of conquering of the land against their enemies, because Joshua was a godly leader, and things were going quite well. But when Joshua died, we see in a moment things went very wrong. Israel was disobedient, idolatrous, and often defeated in the book of Judges. Recurring periods of judges in the notes highlights apostasy, spiritual unfaithfulness, a departure from a holy walk with the Lord. Now, isn't that true today? Let's look at that again. Highlighting apostasy, spiritual unfaithfulness, and a departure from a holy walk with the Lord. Our nation doesn't even fear the church, let alone the Lord because they're really letting the Lord down. They will mock the church. There's no respect for the church because they're not walking a holy walk with the Lord to be an example. Generally speaking, there are isolated differences, of course there are. So when it came to Judges period in Israel, you can see there severe discipline and chastening occurs. That's true with Matthew 18. And it caused for Israel momentarily repentance and confession to the Lord. That was a complete routine. Israel was blessed. And then in their comfort and ease, they committed idolatry, immorality. They linked up and worshipped the gods of the nations that were around them, which they couldn't defeat, the Canaanites and others. They fell, and the Lord allowed the enemy to come in for a period of time and cause great difficulty to the people ruined their crops, stole them, burnt up their houses, marauding into their villages, burnt their homes. And then the Lord raised up a judge when they came to the Lord seeking help and forgiveness. And the Lord raised up a judge. And the judge delivered Israel from their problems over a period of years. We see it as you move on. And then when things got easy again and they had victory, 
they went back into their apostasy, went back into their idolatry, went back into their morality, linked up with the gods of the nations still around them, and cycled and cycled and cycled. It happened time and time again, and we shall see. Is that not true, perhaps, a lot of churchianity today? The world is in the church instead of the church witnessing in the world. I'm generalizing. There are isolated pockets, of course, of faithful believers. But you see, the situation that you find today is no different than the book of Judges as far as churchianity is concerned. They go through the motions. Where's the power? Where's the holiness? Where's the separation? Where's the sanctification? Same for Israel. Same for the church today. So a deliverer was raised up. Peace came right through to the death of the judge. And then it went all around the same circle again. Cycle of repeated events. It's the same in the church. We read 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. It is there for our admonition, our warning, our correction, instruction. What happened to Israel is a warning to the church today. Absolutely up to date. <clears throat> so let's have a look in your notes again. If the enemy is not overcome, defeat and failure result for Israel. We looked at the five blessings and the five sins in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 15. We looked at that. So for Israel, look halfway down page one, the degeneration morally, spiritually, and certainly relationship to the Lord. Decline, apostasy. A departure from the Lord. And judgment discipline came. That's the order of judges, repeatedly. What was the purpose of the Lord's discipline, as it always is, to draw the people back to himself? We've got a quote there from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, halfway down page 1. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And the writer, whoever it was, maybe Paul was writing to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people. Believers are not believers. It's a mixture. Now, if you look, there's a list there which is interesting of the spiritual order of the books, the early books of the Old Testament. Let's look at it. You've got Genesis, the book of beginnings or origins. You've got the creation, you've got the fall, you've got the first sin, and the early promises of redemption in Genesis 3.15. Judgment came, there was a flood, you know, Tower of Babel, and then God called Abraham and made him a great nation, right through to Joseph, when they were in Egypt, we know. There was a covenant promises and prophecy for Israel. Abrahamic covenant. Well, that was Genesis. Exodus, well, that means the way out, doesn't it? You can see that. Look at Exodus, the way out. Leviticus, the way in, relationship and holiness. Numbers, the way through, the desert. Joshua, or Deuteronomy, the way on, into fellowship with the Lord. Because the book of Deuteronomy is like a marriage between Israel and, and the Lord. That's what Deuteronomy is, a second law. And then Joshua, they were led on to victory. But in Judges, uh, what a different picture. So that's what you've got there. Exodus, the way out of sin's bondage and the way of the world. The Passover lamb, the blood redemption and worship, but the focus on the tabernacle. So there was this relationship 
that they're all wanted with the nation of Israel through the worship at the tabernacle, later the temple. Leviticus, difficult book, isn't it? Holiness, cleanness, sanctification or separation. God wanted to separate Israel. You shall not be like other nations, he said, in the book of Numbers. So it's a way into a right relationship with the Lord and a walk with him in holy living. So it is with the church. Book of Numbers is a way through, the way through the wilderness and their experiences with dependence upon the Lord. From barrenness in the wilderness, eventually through to blessing, taking over the land of Canaan bit by bit. Joshua, as well as Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the way on, the way on in the law was given, yes, but all sorts of challenges, blessings and curses in Deuteronomy for the Lord's people. We'll see later on a bit more about that. There's a declaration of a covenant-like marriage that was between Israel and God, a relationship for life. Joshua, they were led on to victory, victory after victory under Joshua's leadership and the elders following that, and the work of the Holy Spirit, of course. I won't look into John. And the judges, this is where we are. The need for divine leadership. Oh, my, isn't that needed today here? Positive divine leadership through church leaders, and most of them are useless. And I say so publicly. A need for divine leadership. The powerful leadership, Moses and Joshua, finished. Back over previous centuries, there are wonderful godly leadership. You can think of Spurgeon. You can think of George Whitfield. You can think of John Wesley. Think of others, too, in more recent times. Dale Moody, for one, in America, others in this country. Where are they now? We haven't got any. Where's any spiritual leadership that's outstanding you could name? I can't name any. There aren't any. The scene of Judges is the scene of today. That's why it's important to study Judges. A sad scene of failure, discipline. Is the Lord disciplining the church in our country? Is the Lord disciplining our nation? You go back 70 years to World War II, the nation was together. Now we're fragmented. At least there was a reverence for God. And the Bible did have a place in the family. Not now. 70 years on. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking spiritually. So, sad scene of failure, discipline, the deliverance from evil. I'll tell you something. In World War II, we were delivered from great evil. Dunkirk is one. Mm -hmm. Battle of Britain's another. Yeah. I just named two. And King George VI called the nation to prayer. Now, even our church leader's not doing it today. And we're in real peril in our nation from all sorts of hostilities. Like judges. The leadership was raised up for a time until the judge died. And he went back again. Many lapses. Leadership brought victory, then the judge died, and he went back, lapsed. So, when you think about this, look where I've got underlined the word type here towards the bottom. 
bringing thoughts forward to the times of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord departed to heaven. The early church began under the leadership of the apostles, began extremely well, thousands converted. They were taken to heaven, the apostles, I mean, and then there was a post-apostolic decline right through the church age to the rapture and the resurrection of the true church. Now, the example of that, of course, is the seven churches, Revelation 2 and 3. Started well at Ephesus, they lost their first love, and then you come right through to the apostasy of Laodicea, and the Lord said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. That is a prophetic scene of the way the church began and ending up, churchianity. Of which, of course, Matthew 13, the parables of the kingdom, are also the same. Began well with the sowing of the seed, then ended up with the judgment of the bad fish and good fish by the angels in the seventh parable. Same thing, same parallel. Very interesting. So the end, as far as these churches are concerned, in prophetic type, Laodicea, is total departure from biblical truth. Did God say? Oh, yes, he did. So this like the summer of Israel situation in Judges 21. You've got a quote here, and it's mentioned twice. Once in chapter 17, you've got it here. The very last verse of Judges summing up that period of history. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You can call that anarchy if you like. Or we're near to it in places of all the violence and lawlessness in certain parts of the world. And yet, even so, you see, the Lord always has a remnant, doesn't he? We're a remnant. The Lord always has a remnant in every country. As witnesses, there's a little salt and light, encouraging, yes. But even in degeneration, and boy, we got it today, morally, spiritually, I'm not talking about politics. That's for you to decide. But even there, there are few who delight in the Lord. Yes. In the midst of apostasy, darkness, hostility, denial of truth. You know those in the church today, there are those leadership, I'll just mention this, I don't want to harp onto it. There are those in quite religious influence and authority, even in Bible colleges, that deny the inerrancy of scripture and authority of scripture? Did God say? Yes, he did. Are those who deny the virgin birth, those who deny the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse from sin, don't give us any more of that blood theology. I had that said to me when I was teaching. Then there's the denial of the second coming. We're living in an age of denials. It's brought about by the beginning of the 20th century by the uh, German liberal theologians, Bowman and Debelius, that's just by the way. So that's where it all, that's where the rot started, really. And I'm afraid we're riddled with it in the church today. Okay, looking over on to page two, if you will. Both for Israel and later the church, all began well, but failings soon begin, began in both. So we must go forward through conflict. Otherwise, why do we need God's armor? Ephesians 6. Principalities and powers, wickedness in the high places. <clears throat> we'll see when we get into Judges at the moment. Well, let's just go back to Judges if we want Corinthians. We're traveling around a bit, aren't we? 
Go to the book of Judges in the early chapters. I'd like to be willing just to look at chapter 3. In chapter 3, some of the beginning of the Judges, Othniel was one judge in chapter 3. <clears throat> look in verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and their groves. I'll go back to that in a moment. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Tushan Rishnahim of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Tushan Rishnahim eight years. Do you know what that means from the Hebrew and English? Double darkness. Israel was put under the rule of double darkness. How about our country? Are we under the Prince of Darkness? Largely speaking, not all. There's a little light here and there with the remnant, that's true. I just thought I'd mention that. But back to your notes again, if you would. <clears throat> Hesitation over Israel's confidence in God. That's also true of the church age. Though those, well, just think of those pioneers of faith in Hebrews 11. Old Testament saints, every one of them. The church had great men of God throughout, I think in the more recent few centuries, godly men, tremendous leadership to look up to. And they had great influence in our nation, in this country. I mentioned George Whitfield, John Wesley, and also Charles Spurgeon, and others, of course that don't come to mind. They're a great influence on our nation, great influence on the church, tremendous teaching as well. I've seen graphs of the way the church has developed through the centuries. It had its peaks, then it had its depression. It had its peaks, then depression, like revivals. Revivals don't continue very long because man takes charge where God was. That's history of revival. And it was a decline and then a surge, and then a decline and then a surge, just like Israel. Amazing parallel there. Let's look at the notes. There's a parallel between Israel and the church. Joshua died, and the apostles died. He was the leader of Israel. The apostles were the leaders of the church. Both Israel and the church began well, but failure crept in. Now, if you're in Judges, go back to chapter 2. What did the Lord instruct? Judges chapter 2, verse 2. And you shall make no league or covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and the gods shall be a snare to you. That was happened to Israel, and false teaching is happening here. Jesus warned that in the last days there'll be false prophets and false teachers, especially in the last days. Well, they've been around all the time, you know. But it seems he was hinting that it's going to get worse, and I think it is. Boy, in Judges chapter 2, look in verse 10. I quote it here, actually. 
when all that generation were gathered to their fathers, that's the faithful ones under Joshua and the elders, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel, they had forgotten a different generation. I want to tell you there's something that happened today. I had a phone call from a friend of mine who was witnessing to some young people. And this was a young woman, and she was shocked by all the events in Paris, of course. And she's only 20, and she said, well, where are those young people that were so terribly murdered? Where are they now? Oh, what an opportunity for witness. The witness came. And my friend was just witnessing to her, told her about the Lord Jesus' death on the cross. And uh, this young lady was told, her name is Natalie, pray for her. Um, she was told, have you never heard that Jesus died on the cross? No, she said, no one's ever told me. Twenty. And she said, um, she was given a, a very good video to watch it. I'll share this with my boyfriend. I'm living with my boyfriend. She said, you're living with a boyfriend. Don't you know that's immorality? No, don't know. She said, that's almost as bad as homosexuality. What's wrong with homosexuality? She had no idea of how things are and that it was wrong. Not a clue. That's where we are today. It was a gradualism, I dare say. That's where our young people are today. Right through from infancy, they're told about sexual intercourse. Four and five-year-olds with graphic examples. And there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. I'm sorry, I'm saying it publicly. It's recorded. Where are we today? Talk about degeneration, morally, spiritually, how ignorant. That's double darkness. Well, that's just by the way. I only heard that today. Let's go back to our notes. You've got a comment there on First Samuel. Samuel was really the last, well, he was a judge, he was a prophet, and a kingmaker. And First Samuel 2.12 says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt, they did not know the Lord. Next generation, you see. Generations come and they go and they don't know the Lord. Never been taught. What's missing in our schools today? Not allowed to teach the Christian truth. You don't mind if they teach other religions. You mustn't teach the gospel. Oh yeah, I've had that myself when I was teaching. So here you've got in your notes decreasing sensitivity to God's voice with sad lack of self-judgment, with repentance, both then, judges, period, and now. Early cries for deliverance for Israel. Now look in Judges chapter 6, verse 10. See, I'm doing a bit of a summary, aren't I, of Judges at the moment. See how far we go. Chapter 6 of Judges, and look at the 10th verse. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now if you go back to the early chapters of Judges and see exactly what happened, 
all began well. But see, the first chapter is really a bit of a history. We won't spend too much time on that. But they could not conquer all the different tribes, Canaanites being one of the many of the otherites. And they couldn't conquer them. Individuals did, like Caleb, but most of them just could not conquer. He, he did drive out some of them through men like uh, Caleb as well, and one or two others. Caleb was a godly man, and he obtained quite a bit of victory because he was obedient to the Lord. But look in chapter 1 and verse 19. Would you have judges? We'll just look at this one verse in Judges 1. Verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. That's what happened. They could see some victories, but in other areas, they really lost it. And this is a problem. Look in chapter 2 again of Judges, and look at verse 2, which we read just now. You shall make no covenant or agreement with the inhabitants of the land. You shall throw down their altars. You have not obeyed my voice. Why have we done this? And what they did, they began to accept the gods of these nations that they lived amongst. Now, you've got the word Baal, and I've explained this before, what the Baal religion was. Now, Baal religion itself, which really first came from Lebanon, was a very immoral religion that sacred prostitution on every high hill, every grove and green tree, even right through into the days of Elijah, and Ahab particularly in Jezebel. And that they had sacred prostitution because the Baal religion was a fertility religion, the magical rites, so-called, R-I-T-E-S. And if they engaged with sacred prostitution in these Baal temples, they believe that because of the magical rite of a fertility cult, which is what it was, that the, the Baal god, who was the god of the weather and the, and the rain and, and the land fertility, that they would get fertile, fertile in the land and good crops. But the immorality destroyed marriages, it destroyed families, it destroyed homes, and God was very angry with them. And eventually they were taken into exile. Bare religion, immorality, sexual immorality, false worship. That's where Israel was. Today we live in a hedonistic society and aspects of the flesh are everywhere, as you know. That's a problem with the bare religion which is brought in in these particular days. All right, let's go to our notes. <coughs> Decreasing sensitivity to God's voice, as I said, with lack of self-judgment, with repentance both then and now, about three inches down from page two. Early cries of deliverance, chapter six, ten, we read there was no response to God's warnings. He said, I am the Lord, O God, do not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. When you come through chapter 13, verse one, which I've underlined there, there was not even a cry for deliverance. It got that bad. There was cries for deliverance in World War II, 1940 particularly. And the nation called to prayer particularly. What about now? No cry for deliverance. 
boy, do we need deliverance and evil in our country and in our church, generally speaking. Again, the children of evil did evil, in, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years in chapter 13. So the problem was here, and this again is certainly right up to today. Look what I've got here. Israel was satisfied to live in the power of the enemy and gave in to that situation. Wow, oh, isn't that today? We live in the land which is in the grip of the enemy. I'm sorry, it is. We're in the power of the land of double darkness. The church doesn't seem to have any power today. No influence on the nation. It's meant to be salt and light. Where's the power of the gospel coming through? Not much. Yes, there's a little bit of visitation on the streets and in town squares, like in Bournemouth here, and in other places too. Thank God for the, for the open-air gospel mission. Absolutely, many others like it. Thank God for that. But we're just a small minority. Not an influence on the whole nation. Look at chapter 15, verse 11. As I say, I'm giving you a bit of a summary of the situation that the judges were in. Chapter 15 of Judges and verse 11. Here is the scene of Samson. Uh, we know quite a lot about Samson. Bit of a fleshly man, wasn't he? And uh, Samson killed a thousand Philistines. And the men of Judah come up, verse 10. Verse 11, 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock, Etam, and said to Samson, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? He said to them, as they did unto me, so have I done unto them. These people were willing to submit themselves under the rulership of their enemy. They were happy to be subjected to the Philistines. Very much a brutal enemy of Israel as we all know that very well. Look in verse 12. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. He was a judge. The nation or Judah wanted to give him to the hand of their enemies. And he was one of God's judges. I know it wasn't a good one at times. Some said, "Me swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. Hmm. Something thought they might have done. And yet here is the people of Judah would have gladly given Samson over to the Philistines, and they did. Ooh. Are we giving ourselves over to apostate leadership in our country, in the church? We're not very good socially, morally, spiritually in our nation. I'm not going into politics. That's what it was. So let's carry on in our notes. There was a decline in leadership, qualities, Gideon, we know he was quite a man. God used him with 300 others. You know the story of Gideon. And he was manifested. They said, I want you to be king, Gideon. Gideon said, no, God is your king. Got it right, didn't he? But look at the decline from Gideon down to Samson. What a decline. And isn't, hasn't there been a decline in spiritual leadership in our country? 
Judges speaks to us today. A sad decline and a spiritual departure, then and now. And therefore, weak leadership produces weak saints. Sorry. If you've got good, strong leadership, it encourages the saints generally. If you've got weak leadership, you have a hard time. We're not so courageous as perhaps you could be. At the end of Judges, there was a complete indifference to biblical truth. Now, here you've got the story of Micah. Now, I'm not going into that now. Micah brought idols into his house, chapter 17. There was a toleration of evil without any objection, and this led to moral degeneration. There was a Levite who had a concubine, he had his mistress, and she was abused, left for dead. And this Levite cut her in pieces. Wow, what a terrible scene. That's what it was. Moral degeneration, that's chapter 19. Today we have Babylonish religious worship in rituals in church. Won't go into more than that. And it's alongside the rejection of revealed truth. Did God say? Yes, he did. And the teaching of creation in particular. Many Christians accept evolution. Today we have much false worship and apostasy coupled with moral degeneration. Rejecting God means ignoring biblical truth. And we're going to end here and have a break. But finally, look at chapter 2, 17. Rejecting God means ignoring biblical truth. Chapter 2, verse 17. This is the people. They would not listen to their judges, but they went to whoring after other gods, and that's an appropriate word, and bowed themselves to them, and they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in. So the early generations were godly, and they walked with the Lord, but they turned away from it, obeying the commandments of the Lord as he did, but they did not do so. Today, we'll end here for this session, have a break. Today, I've written it in in bold type in the middle of page two. Today, there is a great need to recover biblical truth. I'll say it again. Today, there is a great need to recover biblical truth and stand on it. And having done all to stand. Let's have a break. Well, let's turn to Judges chapter 2 as we carry on, second session. Chapter 2 from verses 11 to 21, underlined in your notes there on page 2. Let's read this. This is a scene as it was in Israel, similar to today. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, the gods of the people around about them, and bowed themselves to them. And provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. 
well, that's the male and the female gods, so-called. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and they sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. But whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, that's mercy, isn't it? Which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken to their judges. And they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves to them. And they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not do so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with them with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings, by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers, in following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. And they ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because that this people have transgressed my covenant, which had commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Well, that's the scene as we've been describing so far. The subject of judges, of course, you've got in your notes there is recurring periods of apostasy, spiritual unfaithfulness in departing from the law. That's what we've been reading about. And then their servitude to their enemies. This course, repentance and confession of sin before the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer who led them to victory over their enemies. This is a recurring theme many times in Judges. During the life of the judge, a proper relationship with God was maintained, and a period of peace came until the death of the judge. That's what we've been reading. So they had a continuing cycle here of departure from the Lord, followed by repentance when things got hard, confession of their sin, and then the Lord raised up a deliverer and a judge, and then there was peace in the land again, all was well. And as they prospered, they turned away again, it repeated itself. <coughs> well, as I say, it's the same in church history as well, ups and downs, ups and downs all the time. And Judges, of course, is a very real contrast to the book of Joshua. I've underlined that here. Joshua was a time of conquering and winning through and good leadership with Joshua and walking with the Lord. And with the elders who followed on when Joshua died at the age of 110. So there was continuing victories under Joshua. They didn't take the whole land. Far from it. So God intervenes in his discipline to assert his control and draw the people back. One wonders why in our day, with the difficulties that come and the foreign religions coming in, whether the Lord is allowing that. I can't say for sure, we don't know, but it's interesting to think about it. Is God allowing, should we say, enemies of the faith, enemies of truth to come in and make it difficult for us to try and turn us back to him properly again? Is it any different than the book of Judges? Interesting, isn't it, to think about that? Yeah. Well, God intervened, things got difficult, and in that he drew his people back to himself. A repeated cycle. 
His love and mercy and compassion came through, as we read in that section of Judges chapter 2, when the Lord, because of the groanings of reason, them oppressed and vexed him, and the Lord came to be merciful to them. That's certainly so. So there's love, mercy, and compassion on the Lord's. That's his character and his, from his point of view. But then for Israel, there was degeneration, departure, and discipline. A recurring theme. One wonders how it will be in our day. You've got a reference there to Hebrews 3, verse 12, in your notes, underlined. That's relevant. Then, now. Beware, brethren, writing to Christians, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. People do backslide, and they do fall away. Hmm. Well, Judges, uh, as we find, it's not in strict chronological order. That doesn't matter so much. And some judges worked in parallel to others. Some are well known, and there are a few there that hardly have a word said about them. Three judges. Uh, we call them minor judges, if you like. <clears throat> some of these judges worked in parallel. And you see, a judges covers a period of 350 years. Seems a long time, doesn't it? Well, the theme of judges as we looked at that twice. The last verse in Judges summed it all up. It's here, chapter 21, 25, and chapter 17, verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, no leadership in authority that was good. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Mm. Is that probably similar to today? People do their own thing, as we say. But well, one generation passed on, the days of Joshua and the eldership passed on, and while you're in chapter 2, let's look back at verse 7 to 10. <coughs> chapter 2 of Joshua, uh, Judges 7 to 10 in your notes, five lines up from the bottom of page 2. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the board of his inheritance at timnath in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also, all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation, we looked at that before, after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And we're living in a generation that's forgotten what God did for our own country and what God did for the church in the past. And the new generation knows almost nothing, as I related earlier. There's a total ignorance of the word of God, of the gospel, who Jesus is, and what he can do for us. Talk about being lost. Let's carry on. So when generation passed on, Joshua, the elders, new generation, came in, came in, and that sank into apathy and then apostasy. The church parallels this through history. Historically, anarchy replaced law and order in some places today. Gideon put that right for a while. In chapter 8, 23, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. 
Now, there's some references in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is helpful. So can we go back to Deuteronomy 6? I know it's a lot of verses, but they are relevant. Deuteronomy 6, please. Let's look at some of the verses. I know we've got them divided up here into four groups, but consecutive, verses 1 to 5. Let's scan these in Deuteronomy 6. The commands that the Lord gave to Israel, and Moses was to teach them, that uh, Michael went in the land. Verse 2, that you might fear the Lord, give him true reverence, and so on. What is the promise? That your days may be prolonged. Isn't there also a law that if children obey their parents, they should live long in the land? Mm -hmm. And then verse 3, Hear, O Israel, observe and do it, which might increase as your God of the fathers promised in the land flowing milk and honey. Then you got the command to love the Lord, verses 5 and 6, and teaching the family, children in verse 7. And have the word of God clearly before them. I know this is very much Jewish, I know. But the word of God should be upon them, right upon the posts of your house and on the gates, verse 9. In other words, right before you in your life, you can't miss it. And the promise is there. <clears throat> Houses full of good things, verse 11. All the promises when they moved into the land of Canaan, in verse 11, verse 12. Warning, beware lest you forget the Lord, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. To worship the Lord, verse 13. Not go after other gods, verse 14. The Lord God is a jealous God among you. Verse 15. And not to tempt the Lord. Keep God's commands. Well, that was a law then, of course, we know that. But the new command is to love the Lord and love each other. It's our new command, we know that. And the Lord says, it will be well with you, verse 18. As you're going to possess a good land, which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord has spoken. He would have done it through good leadership. Uh, verse 22, the Lord showed signs and wonders in Egypt, but the generation died out. They witnessed it, of course. And... Uh, Look in verse 25 to finish up. It shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commands before the Lord our God as he commanded us. I know that was a law, but we have command of the Lord to love him and to love one another. That's our commands. And then we have righteousness, right? Well, we know what Proverbs says, don't we? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. How true that is. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to a people. We know that. <clears throat> okay, let's move on. Over on to page three. So the new generation, page three, top. New generation failed after Joshua, we know that. Victory after victory is recorded in Judges chapter one. And that's a history of the period of time under Joshua leading up to when Joshua died, of course. <clears throat> and that's what you find. Yet they couldn't drive out the Canaanites. Look in Judges back there now, Judges 1. As I say, this chapter 1 of Judges, we're not going to spend too much time in it, is uh, the conflicts, and they couldn't drive out the people. 
because of their problems and disobedience to the Lord. They couldn't win in every situation. That's true in the Christian life too, I think. So let's uh, just have a look what we have here in Judges chapter 1 and read from 19 to 22. Judges 1, 19 to 22. And the Lord was with Judah, one tribe. He drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron, like the Philistines. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled then the three sons of Anak, the giants. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites, that's in Jerusalem. David did that later. Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin and Jerusalem until this day, so they were living among their enemies and were willing to do so for a while. Down to verse 27. Manasseh didn't drive out the inhabitants in their town. Verse 28, when Israel was strong, they put the Canaanites to tribute, but didn't utterly drive them out. Some victory, some failure. When the church is strong, things happen. When it's weak, trouble comes in. Ephraim couldn't drive out the Canaanites, verse 29, and so on, all the way down through there. 30, neither did Zebulun. 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, and so on. So there was not complete victory. Now, let's read on, top of page 3, third line. The first step to deterioration was the neglect of God's instructions, how general that is. First step of decline is rejecting or forgetting the word of God. Now, there's a reference I'd like you to turn to in the New Testament, 2 Timothy. So let's go to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter 4. Timothy met this in his day. We meet it in our day. 2 Timothy 4. Verses 3 and 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, good Bible teaching, but after their own lusts, what they want, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. People will follow people that they like to hear. It was easy, smooth words. And they should turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned to fables, false teaching. Well, Timothy met it in his day. And Paul said it's going to come right through. The time will come. They will not endure sound teaching. How true that is today. Just like Israel rejected the word of the Lord. And even when they heard the judges speak the word of the Lord, they still rejected the judge. You wouldn't hear good, sound Christian leadership today. Same, exactly the same. So let's look back at uh, Judges chapter 2 again. We're dashing about. We like to do this at times. In Judges chapter 2, back there. <coughs> Judges chapter 2. Let's look at the first three verses of Judges 2. We won't spend much time in chapter 1. This is where we want to be. Chapter 2, 1 to 3. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. I'm going to speak about that in a minute. That's very important. 
and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and I brought you unto the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. This is the Lord speaking. You shall make no agreement or covenant with the inhabitants of this land. I read this before. You shall throw down their altars. You have not obeyed my voice. Why have we done this? Now, there's a question just now. Should we do this for Islam? This is a question of false worship today in churchianity or Christendom. We're certainly to reject false teaching in the church. Indeed, as Paul says, expose it. No one says that's easy. You make enemies that way. But that's standing up for the Lord. Verse 3, wherefore I said, I will not drive them out from before you, and they shall be as thorns in your sides. False teaching always is. Apostasy always is. It's a menace. And that God shall be a snare unto you. Idolatry within Christendom? Yep. So that's it, isn't it? Rebuke is followed by reaction and remorse. Look at verse 4. Came to pass when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and they wept and they called the name of the place Bokim, which means weeping. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. They were in remorse and in repentance. And the Lord heard it. Now back in verse 1, you've got those two names of places, Gilgal and Bokim. Now Gilgal was the first place that Joshua led the people going across the Jordan River. And uh, it was the tenth day of Nisan, beginning of Passover. They arrived in Canaan then, exactly 40 years to the day from the Passover leaving Egypt to entering into the land of Canaan on the 10th day of Nisan, exactly the same day, 40 years on. Isn't that amazing? It's the same when you look at Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks of Daniel, and so I won't go into that now. But Jesus in Luke 19, weeping over Jerusalem, said, if only you knew this day, this day. What was that day? The fulfilling exactly 483 Jewish years to the very day when Jesus entered Jerusalem. God's timetable is very precise. And he knows when he's coming for the church. And he knows when he's returning to Israel. He knows when the millennium is going to be set up. Exactly. God's timetable, not like ours, but right on time. So Gilgal was a place where they, coming in on the 10th day of Nisan, remembering the Passover precisely 40 years before. And there they renewed the covenant, which was then, of course, through circumcision. That generation hadn't been circumcised. That doesn't relate to us. It's not important to us. But the point was that the people made a covenant with the Lord as they were going to enter the land. And that was the generation still under Joshua. And their elders, all was well until they died. So Gilgal is a place of covenant and entering new life and the new land. But then they also came to Bochim, which is weeping. They traveled through disobedience and blessing 
to weeping. Gilgal to Bokim. From covenant blessings to the place of weeping because how much they've fallen. That's verse 1. So there we have it. Gilgal to Bokim. The wrath was setting in even at the end of Joshua's life and the elders of Joshua. But if you look in verse 5, they sought the Lord again. They sought restoration. Joshua 2 verse 5, we read it. And they called the name of the place Bokim. They were weeping. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Well, that was the way it was. So they wanted restoration. And yet there was a visitation of the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord, like at Joshua, outside Jericho, the captain of the Lord's host, with a sword drawn in his hand, was the Lord Jesus at Theophany before his incarnation. Maybe this was the same. Can't prove it, maybe. And chapter 5, if you go there, following your notes, Judges chapter 5, look in verses 13 to 15. Judges 5, 13 to 15. No, sorry, that's back in Joshua, I think it is, isn't it? Yes, it is, sorry. Let's look in Joshua 5, beg your pardon. Should have put Joshua there. Joshua 5. Yes, as it were before Jericho, that's it. Joshua 5, well worth looking at. Joshua 5, 13 to 15. This is where the angel of the Lord met Joshua. We'll look at it. Joshua 5, 13 to the end. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said unto him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Notice how he didn't answer. He said, No. <laughs> but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. I've got my own battles. Joshua fell on his face to the earth. He knew who he was and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose your shoe off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so, just like Moses at the burning bush. He met the Lord, captain of the Lord's host, a theophany at that particular time. So I thought we'd read that. Okay, let's uh, go back to uh, Judges again wherever you were, Judges 2, and uh, look in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Judges. Joshua let the people go, back in his day. The children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. That's what they hoped to do. See, under Joshua's influence and the elders' influence, all was well. So they anticipated victory in inheriting the land. See, the problem is that their loyalty was half-hearted and incomplete. That's the problem. And is that not true, perhaps, maybe in some aspects of the church in our nation? Compromise is the word. Half-hearted allegiance. Weakness is the result. Mm -hmm. Is that not true today? Compromise? Settling down on our lees, taking life easy, comfortable living, don't rock the boat. How about being disciples? Mm. There we go. Okay, let's read on. 
Here the elders serve the Lord after the death of Joshua. We've got that in verses 7 and 8. The people serve the Lord all the days of Joshua, chapter 2, 7 and 8, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, died. You've already got that, of course. <clears throat> so we know he died 110 years old. <clears throat> so when we come down to verse 10 of chapter 2, also that generation were gathered to their fathers. I read this before, so I'm linking it up again. Good to repeat sometimes. And there was another generation. We've discussed that already. After them, which knew not the Lord. How true today. Nor yet the works which had done for Israel. Modern generation doesn't know what God had done in history of the church, church age. Or indeed, blessings of the Lord on our nation and mercy. That's certainly true. So that generation, what was the result of that in verses 11 to 13? Chapter 2, 11 to 13. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. I've explained that before. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed after other gods, of the gods of the people around about them, and bowed themselves to them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Balaam and Asheroth. Is it possible that today that we have our own man-made gods? I don't care what it is. You can worship pop idols, football stars, you name it. Yeah. There's worship in the football crowd, isn't there? Yeah. Well, I want to be too hard, but that's something to think about. Anyway, the Lord was very angry with them, wasn't he? Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, we read before. I've delivered into the hands of those who would spoil them. Mm. Yeah, that's it. So that's the tragedy, isn't it? What happened? 14 and 15, they disobeyed the Lord. Verse 15, chapter 2, wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them. Isn't that tragic? Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them. How many people blame God for the problems? Instead of blaming ourselves, it's our fault. You blame God for your problems. It's a sin of humanity. <coughs> As the Lord had said, he'd warned them before, and the Lord had sworn to them they were greatly distressed. And then the Lord raised up judges in his mercy. Wonderful, isn't it? Well, there was distress, degeneration, and a departure from the Lord. Bit of a gloomy picture, isn't it? Then came discipline, followed by deliverance. And that was a constant theme. The two stories that illustrate conditions in Judges, chapter 17 to the end, chapter 21, I mentioned that before. There's a Micah, the man who established idols in his land. He adopted a Levite. He said, now I've got a Levite priest. God is going to bless me. I've got a priest. How many people say, oh, I've got the vicar on my side. Sorry, I don't want to be rude. Therefore, I'm going to be blessed. I'm friendly with the vicar. Sorry, I don't mean to be rude. Or a pastor, any leader, elder, anybody. Not so. And uh, the Levite there, and there was a Levite also, as I told you in the first session, that he had a concubine, he had his mistress. And uh, he went into a place where they, they abused her. And she died. And the Levite cut her in pieces and sent her around to all the tribes of Israel. What a sordid end to the book of Judges. It got worse and worse. 
we won't study those chapters so much, really, at the end. So Judges has three sections. Failure to possess the land, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 3, 6. And the history and exploits of the Judges, chapter 3, 7, right through to chapter 16. We'll look at all those. Um, that's certainly true. Now, you've got there, I've listed, just a bit of, bit of help, six periods of where there was servitude to other nations that dominated them between the seven phases where major judges ruled. And you've got there the list of them, <clears throat> from Mesopotamia running right through to the Philistines, and the total number of years that they were in bondage to their enemy nations around them. And you've got the rather references there, they're just in the notes, you won't deal with them now. So those periods when Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, you've got the references there in chapter 2, 3, 4, 6, 10, and 13, where Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was, and there are seven sections which correspond roughly with the seven periods of church history, prophetically speaking, in Revelation 2 and 3. Now we'll look at these. Uh, we'll come towards an end of the session tonight. You've been very good. There's a lot to listen to. Seven sections which correspond roughly with the seven periods of church history, prophetically speaking. And these are literal churches, as we know, from Ephesus right through to Laodicea. Now, I want you to add something here because I've added a little bit extra, just references, that's all, and I'll tell you where they are. You've got Ephesus as a church. Had a good beginning. Second generation lost it. They lost their first love. And they all spoke about it in chapter 2. That's just like Israel in Judges 1 and 2. Everything went well under Joshua and the elders, and then it went wrong when they died. And if you go in Judges, where well, you're there now, but look in chapter 3 <coughs> and verse 8. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he's going to raise up Othniel, the first judge. And he sold them into the hand of Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan Rishathaim eight years. So you've got that here. And that is, in a sense, add chapter 3, verse 7, verses 7 to 11 under Mesopotamia, if you want to. But the reference is to that king there of Mesopotamia in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. It's not in your notes. You can add it if you wish. Then in chapter 3, when we come to the judge of Othniel, uh, those few verses there, and Othniel, that the children of Israel did even the sight of the Lord, forgot the Lord, verse 7, anger of the Lord in verse 8, and that was suffering. But they continued to suffer. And that is a picture of the suffering church at Smyrna, after the word myrrh, suffering. And you've got judges there, chapter 3, and Othniel. But they were under Moab from verse 12. Under Moab and King Eglon was chapter 3, 12 to 14, if you write that under Moab, the second one. Smyrna, under Moab, Eglon, the king, chapter 3, 12 to 14. I didn't put it in, I should have done then you've got Judges chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through to the 30, verse 30. You've got Ehud, who was raised up as the next judge, 
and he dealt with the king of Eglon in a very definite way. And uh, when it comes through to the domination of Canaan in chapter 4, so under Canaan, put in chapter 4, 1 to 2. I'll go through this again in a moment. Under Canaan is chapter 4, 1 to 2, so we're moving on. And that is a picture, if you like, of the Israel dominated by the world, or Israel dominated by the Canaanites and others. This is a picture of Pergamos in the church age dominated by the world. The world got into the church of Pergamos in the book of Revelation. Uh, in other words, it became the worldly church. Next one, Thyatira is a woman in power. But of course, Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5 is about Deborah. It's interesting. Oh, she was a godly judge. Barak was a bit, you know, where are the men? Chatting about that earlier. So Deborah came into power. Oh, she's a good judge. That's chapter 4, 1 to 531. Deborah and Yael, of course, dealt with Sisera. Uh, then you got in chapter 6, because you've got the Song of Deborah in chapter 5, Judges. When you come to chapter 6, where Gideon comes on the scene, <clears throat> here you've got a picture of Sardis, the faithful remnant. Woman in power and Thyatira, Jezebel, a bad woman. Deborah was a good judge. But Sardis, a picture of the faithful remnant, as in the time of the 1600s with the uh, Reformation. And you've got Judges of Gideon. Did God only use 300? A faithful remnant. Not 32,000. He sent most of them home, didn't he? Just 300 left. So God got the glory, not man. And then in chapter 10, a big step forward, you've got, just look in chapter 10 for a moment, from verses 7 to 9, you hear you've got the children of Ammon, the Amorites, Ammon in verse 9, gave them a very hard time. And they were sore, Israel was sore distressed in verse 9 of chapter 10. And Israel cried out to the Lord and said, We've sinned, we've forsaken God and served Baal. And the Lord was merciful. So there was a domination, you see, under the Ammonites and the Philistines. And they really totally swamped. But there was still a faithful remnant, as we had in chapter 6 with Gideon and his 300 men. And you've got in chapter 11, you've got Jephthah. When we get there, chapter 11, 1 to 12, 7, is Jephthah. And there, Jephthah, as you know, was a, perhaps an illegitimate son. And he was despised by the rest of his family. And so today... The Philadelphia church was a picture of the last evangelical church before the Lord comes for us. The last faithful church before Laodicea. The last faithful remnant. The despised few. People in the world despise us. They don't like our message. And we are the minority. And in chapter 13, verse 1, you'll find that the children of Israel are under the domination of the Philistines, a very fierce, warlike people. 
and they had trouble right through until David's time. Right through. Several hundred years from the Philistines. Nasty. And they did evil. Chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. Long time. And yet, you see, the Lord raised up Jephthah, but despised by his family. And then in the end, because of the troubles of the land, his family turned to Jephthah and said, come and lead us. What a change. When things got really tough, they turned to the despised few. Come and tell us your message. That's true today, isn't it? The despised few, when things got really tough, were the ones that got the message. Hmm. Well, finally, the last one, Laodicea, the seventh church, where there's spiritual decay. And that's a picture of the days of Samson, a fleshly, immoral judge. Yeah. You see the tremendous decline from Gideon right through to Samson and the degradation of his death. He killed more Philistines, 3,000, than all the rest of his life put together. And his domination under the Philistines. Just have a look in chapter 13, if you would, please. And I add a bit here from chapter 13. Write it in if you wish to. From verse 24. This is Samson when he was born. Chapter 13, 24. He grew and the Lord blessed him. The spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan. Yeah. But then you see, you saw a woman of the Philistines. There's his downfall. Chapter 14, verse 1, and so on. And it goes right through to the time of chapter 16 and verse 31, where Samson died an ignominious death. Chapter 16, verse 31. 13, 31, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He was blind, you see. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the Lord's Philistines and upon all the people that were there, and so the dead which he slew his death were more than they would slew in his life. And his brethren in all the house of his father came and took him, brought him, buried him, and he judged his for 20 years. A rather ignominious death, wasn't it? And yet, you see, God used him as a judge. Let's turn over to chapter 4, page 4, I mean, page 4. So, we'll come to an end for this evening. You've been very good, a lot to look at, a lot to study. Let's look at the top of page 4. A bit of a summary at the top of page 4. Learn from judges to help us recognize the need of faithful, enduring <laughs> perseverance. God's ideal government is theocracy, God ruling not democracy, people ruling. The rule of heaven through men whom God raised up, judges, Christian leadership over the centuries too. Eventually God allowed a king which was Saul. Samuel didn't want, but God said, that's what the people want, give them what they want. Wasn't good though. The judges' work was an extension of God's rule over his people. He ruled, spoke through the judges. They were deliverers, judges. Fourteen judges, including Eli and Samuel, plus Joel and Abijah, sons of Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 2. Only twelve were listed in judges. Six were major judges. That means a lot is said about them and their work. And the six minor ones, not much said about them. Major ones are Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, and Barak, 
Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. So-called because of the length of scriptures referring to them. The minor judges were Shamgar, you've got your references, Tola, Jair, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon. Not much is said about these minor judges. And just to close, deliverance and godly leadership resulted in a period of rest from conflict and oppression. You've got the references there. Not seeking to know and obey the will of God will always result in spiritual departure and degeneration of life individually and corporately. That relates to the church and the nation, of course. Continuing fellowship and obedience to the Lord always brings blessing, not discipline. John 7, verse 17, If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, teaching truth. Whether it's from God, whether I speak on my own authority, even though it's the words of Jesus. The enemies are left to test God's people. We have difficulties in our land. Is that here to test us? Growing evil influences in our country? Is it left to test us? See whether these people who prove faithful in conflict? We'll find out more when we look at this next section next week. <laughs>